Well, everyone, Pastor Luke Frechette here, and welcome to our Sunday service, August the 16th. And I hope so far that you've been so encouraged and challenged and had a chance to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to hear about all the announcements and the things that are happening here at South Beach and, and really just to be encouraged. Whenever I come to the house of the Lord or gather with believers or open up his word or spend time in worship, it always realigns me. Just like a good adjustment at FlexFit Chiropractic, the place I go when things aren't lined up. And I hope you're sensing the relief that comes from being in the presence of God and with His people. I want to encourage you, as you heard in the announcements, to go to the App Store later today and download that app so you can connect with us and follow along and grow with us in an easier way to even do so now. Also, one of the announcements that I wanted to make sure you're aware of as well is August 31st is a Monday. And Monday night, August 31st, I'll be at Calvary Chapel Corvallis for a men's steak and study. It's at 6 p.m. It's like 10 bucks. Uh, you don't have to sign up in advance, but maybe maybe email the church or let us know that you're going so we can tell them we're bringing 20, 
30, 40, 50, 60, 70, or 80, or 100 guys on August 31st. It's going to be legit. So for today, though, I want you to take your Bibles now. Check this out. Brace yourself. Last week we were in John 15. Brace yourself. The week before we were in Luke 5. Brace yourself. We are now going to the last book of the Bible. Revelation. Revelation. And the last time I taught out of Revelation was on this stage. Listen, 23 weeks ago. It was on March 8th. I taught on the book of Revelation right here and I wasn't looking at a camera, that's for sure. I was looking at my friends and we went through Revelation 16 verses 1 through 11 thereabouts and man, it was such an epic time and we started the book of Revelation on June 9th, my anniversary, June 9th, 2019. That's 61 weeks ago. And so 61 weeks ago, listen, 61 weeks, is that even a time? 61 weeks ago, we began the book of Revelation chapter one. And as we have been navigating through for those weeks before these weeks of COVID, man, we were getting the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is the apocalypse. That is God revealing what's going on in the end days so we would know how to navigate our days. Raise your hand if you're living your days. Yeah, you're living your days right now. Let me remind you before we get into Revelation 16, that's where we're going to be today. Believe it or not, so excited. But before we get to Revelation 16, I just want to remind you of two verses in Revelation 1. Verse 3 of Revelation 1 says this, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and who keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. There is a blessing who those who read, hear, and keep the words of this prophecy, for the time is near. Now, Jesus said that to John 2,000 years ago, and I want you to make sure and understand this. Whether the end of days is near in general for the world, or whether it's the end of your days are near, specifically and personally for you, both are true. And the church has been asked, and the church has been convicted to live as if the end were near, because your end is near. You are going to meet your maker soon. It's going to happen. And as we see and sense the times that we're living in right now, we can discern and understand that the time of the end, the, re the end of the world, it's so near. And I want to encourage you, those who read it, those who hear it, and those who keep it. And what I mean by keep it, listen, isn't keep the law like, oh, I blew it, I lost it, I don't know what I'm doing. No, to keep it means this. It means to protect it, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the prophecies herein to keep it near to your heart. The things of God, the future, right now, it's all unfolding. And you who are Christians, you who believe and understand and, and are hoping, the Bible calls it the blessed hope, the hope of his return. You who have that hope, hey, 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 you gotta keep it, keep it. Not, it's not a legalistic term. Like if you fell in love, you're legalistically bound to love that person. No, no, you wanna love that person. So to love, keep, protect, cherish this book. The second verse I want to point to your attention is the simple outline of the book of Revelation. In, in case you forgot, it's in verse 19, where John is instructed, write the things which you have seen, that is the resurrected Lord, write the things which are, okay, that's current days, the church age, the things that are, and write the things that shall take place after this, metatauta which is the prophecy that happens after these days, the age of the church, when the church is raptured. We saw that in chapter four and five, when John is caught up into heaven 
in chapters 6 through 19, this is right where we're at, detail in lay out the events of planet Earth after the rapture of the church. Now, I'm part of the church. Last time I checked, I haven't been raptured. I've been wearing my rapture socks every single day. I've not yet gotten raptured, okay? Rapture, raptus in the Latin means to be snatched away, caught away in the twinkling of an eye, in the blink of an eye, in a moment. And the Bible teaches that that will happen before the revealing of the Antichrist. The Antichrist, again, is not somebody who's situated against Christ, but he's actually presented in place of Christ. We don't need the church. We don't need Christ. We don't need... We have, and when that happens, that shift, the church will be taken. And the next seven years are detailed in the book of Revelation. Now, I say that because Revelation is not a hard book to understand. John tells us about the past, chapter one, and then he tells us about the things that are, chapters two and three, and then the things that were coming after, chapters four through 19. So here's how we're gonna do it today, though. Check this out. Because we spent so many weeks in Revelation, and I don't know about you, but I talked pretty fast, and I talked pretty long, and we've been going, going, going. There's a lot of stuff I forgot. As a matter of fact, March 8th, our last service here, was where we left off. And so here's what we're going to do today. We are going to play a series of clips, believe it or not, from that teaching. Okay, I remember the shirt I wore, that yellow plaid shirt. It was so cool, man. I probably haven't seen that shirt in a minute. That I wore that shirt. And we're going to play some of those clips to kind of prime the pump and whet our appetite for the things of God. And we are going to get excited about what the Lord is doing. And if I could just summarize it, though, before we get into the, the teachings, the clips, keep this prophecy near to your heart. Maybe you've been confused up until this point, or maybe you've been distracted by horizontal realities. And maybe even under the guise of being a prophecy person, you're picking sides and drawing lines and forming camps based on this and that and those. Look, I would just say, keep this prophecy near to your heart. Let the Lord grow in you grace and love and mercy and a heightened awareness, listen, to his thereness. So I'm going to say a prayer. We're going to roll this first clip. It's going to be so legit. This is a flashback. You're going to think you're going back to the 1980s. So check this out. Let's pray right now. Lord, in Jesus' name, would you bless this time as we get into your word. You say that those who read, hear, and keep this book of this prophecy would be blessed. Would you do that? Lord, as a matter of fact, I'll just say that differently. Would you keep blessing us? Because you already have. I believe you've blessed South Beach Church. You've blessed our friends. You've blessed the people watching. you blessed the saints, the believers, the church who love the book of Revelation. So Lord, keep that blessing going. And we ask all this, Lord, for your glory and for others' good. Do it now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's watch this together. It's gonna be so good. <laughs> Bible says that a Christian, his boots, his shoes are beautiful. They're the feet of the preparation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That a Christian, where a Christian goes, what he does, where, where he stands, the whole idea, the foundation of what we're doing is because Jesus is real. And so, so we serve and we love. And that, that's why you exist, because Jesus is real as a Christian. So you can then walk and then live and then found yourself. And everything you do is built out of that truth. This is why we study God's word. But if you're like me, you're a mere mortal. You forget sometimes. You ever forget? You ever wake up sometimes and you forget all the good things you've ever known? That was for me yesterday, Saturday. Not all the good things, but most of them. 
And so I woke up Saturday and I had a busy week. I taught through the entire book of Acts all day Tuesday, all day Wednesday, all day Thursday. I taught through 13 chapters of the book of Acts in one day. New record, man. It was cool. <laughs> Got home at 9 p.m., woke up the next day on Friday and did some honeydews projects, worked all day outside my comfort zone making, you know, stuff. And then I woke up Saturday and I just was in a bad, this is yesterday, I woke up in a bad mood. So I made my coffee, it didn't taste right, but I finished it. I'm not a baby. And, and so I, I was in a bad mood. So here, it's a true story. So, so I was like, I'm going to read the Bible. You know, you know, so I read Hebrews 5 and 6. And by the time I was done with Hebrews 5 and 6, I was even more grouchy, just being honest. So I opened up my devotional, uh, Paul Tripp, you know, if you don't have his devotional, it's the best. Paul Tripp, so I, I went through Paul Tripp's March 7th devotional, you know, and, and in it, he was talking about sin. It was so good, so good. He said, sin, when we commit sin, it's not, we can't blame it on anybody but ourselves, but we're such good wordsmiths. When we sin, we're like, well, if they wouldn't, I wouldn't have. And if they didn't, and he listed all these little examples. And one of them was even the grouchy dad. <laughs> and I was like, Paul, you don't know me. And I shut the book, you know. <laughs> Paul. I'm not kidding. Grouchy dad. And he said, when a dad's grouchy to his kids, he wants to say, well, it's these kids, you know. And the reality, it's the sin and selfishness and impatience within that grouchy dad, you know. And I threw the book across the room. I'm just kidding. I finished the book and I was more grouchy. True story. Just, you know, and the kids were there, just real close proximity. That made me grouchy, you know, and I'm just being honest. I had stuff to do that day. I had a memorial at one and sermons to prepare. And I was getting text messages from people, heavy duty stuff, just getting pulled on. Here's what I did next. I turned to Revelation 15 and 16. And I'm not messing with you. This is where we're at today. I looked at it, <laughs> and it all lined up. Just, I just glanced. I was like, oh, <laughs> that's what's going on. I forgot. Because the book of Revelation, chapters 15 and 16 specifically, and chapters 6 through 19 are prophetic in nature, that they're the future. It hasn't happened yet. Most of the Bible, when we study it, when you study the Gospels or the Epistles, it's all history. It's like, hey, this already happened. Learn from it, okay? Learn from somebody else's trials and triumphs. Learn. That's cool. It's cool stuff. Then there are prophetical verses and prophecies that say, this is what's going to happen. And this 15 and 16 is a promise from God about what he's going to do. And it was given originally to John so John could get encouraged. John had grouchy days too. Man, they boiled him in oil alive, didn't kill him. Probably wished it would have. You know what I'm saying? Like, you guys blew it. Do it, you know. He suffered. And so God gave him the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in chapters two and three, there's instructions for the church. Here's what you're to do while you're the church, while you're on planet Earth. Don't get it twisted. Chapters four and five, listen. Show what I believe is the rapture of the church. We're in chapter four on the Lord's day. John's in the spirit and he hears a voice. Come up here. And he's instantly in heaven. And he sees the church. And you never see the church again on planet Earth. Chapter six, you never see the church mentioned. They're not there. They're in heaven. And then chapters 6 through 19 unfold. And the seal judgments are poured out. And the trumpet judgments. And then finally in today's text, the bowl judgments. And as John would receive this, and as I saw that, something lined up like a good chiropractic adjustment. Ah, all right. And it reminded me instantly of Psalm 73. In Psalm 73, the psalmist is observing the world. And he says, man, everything's out of control. 
the rich are getting more toilet paper and the poor have no toilet paper, you know. It's, read, read it. It's imbalanced. Everything's going wrong. He, and, he, and he gets to this point in Psalm 73 where he's like, it's too much. It's too much until, he says, I went into the house of the Lord and I was reminded of, listen, specifically, their end. The evil in the world, the injustice, the chaos. I was reminded of their end. You could also switch out that noun and say, the end. Oh, the end. Oh. Oh, because sometimes when you forget the end, you're stuck in the middle, man, you get weird. Your vision's not big enough. You're like this. Like, I can't see. I'm just, I can't see. And you're like, oh, there's more. The end. In, in chapter 15 and 16 are God's promise to take care of everything that's wrong. And because we know God's going to be faithful in the end, we can trust him to be faithful in the middle. Even when it looks like he's not working, he's always working. He never stops working. He's always working. He's still working. He's, he's here now among us. Yesterday, man, I had to go through this, this process. And I share all that with you guys because maybe you're just like me and you forget. And I taught you some big words last week, the big words I taught you that I want you to know. First word is theology, which is the study of God. You just got to know who God is. This is what we do. Everyone's a theologian. Every single person is a theologian. Doesn't mean you're a good one or even an accurate one. Everyone has an opinion, a conclusion about who God is. You better be a good theologian. And this is our goal. We want to be good. Because a good theologian will lead to then an orthodox life. Orthodox means you know what you believe. How do you know what you believe? Because I studied. That's why we're at Bible study today. I'm not here just to tell stories and make you guys laugh. We're here to study God's word so we know what it says so that way we can have an orthodox life, which then leads to a doxology. Doxology, I had someone text me during their life group, like, what's doxology mean again? I told you, you know, ah, we're talking about it. I don't know what it means. Doxology is a response to what you believe based on what you've studied. You studied it, found out some truth. So you built a foundation. This is the truth. It has to then lead to a doxology, which means a response. I'm either going to sing, or I'm going to serve, I'm going to give, I'm going to abstain, I'm going to partake in whatever it is that's right, or, or I'm going to do, I'm going to be different. If you've ever seen somebody raise up their hands during worship, it's because that's their doxology based on their conclusion because they studied God and they know God is good. Therefore, I'm going to work. It's time to worship. Oh, not, not hard to do. For me, it's not hard to worship God, just so you guys know. You know why? Because I've studied him and I believe him. That's enough. He said it. I believe it. That settles it. It's time to worship. Not everyone expresses worship with raised hands. That's fine if you don't, okay? But when it comes time to prayer, repentance, serving, giving, and for me, it's not that hard because I know it's the right thing to do no matter what I feel. Guys, as I'm watching this again and hearing these stories back in March 8th about waking up grouchy and getting in the word and, and ultimately coming to this portion of scripture, I'm so reminded of this, the truth then. Here's a cool thing. A lot's happened since then. You think I was grouchy then. <laughs> How many of you guys have been grouchy since March 8th? Things have gotten completely twisted up. And as I mentioned then, what aligns us, what gets us back into that path, the narrow path, is God's word. Like my daughter's favorite verse, Psalm 119, verse 105, is thy word is a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. And, and it's how we align ourselves. And guys, it was so simple. You heard some big words there. And I just want to encourage you. Those big words are bigger in application now more so than ever. A theology of God. Do you know who God is? Have you studied it out? If you do, if you have, then that's going to lead to then a conclusion of life. What you do, no matter how you feel. It's called an orthodoxy. 
you've heard the word before, Orthodox Christians, and oh, they're very liturgical. And, and, and listen, if you have an orthodoxy because of your theology, you know who God is, you're going to know what to do even when you don't feel it. What do you do? This is so profound. Because this book was written to John, John the Revelator. Man, John had a worse time than you are, for sure. And God says, here's what I'm going to give you, John. Theology that leads to an orthodoxy that's going to then help you to have a worship to the Lord. An orthodoxy that leads to then that doxology. It's another big word that you'll never use at the grocery store. Where's the bananas? I'm going to go do some doxology. (laughs) What it means is that you choose. Listen, you choose. Listen, you choose to bear fruit like we talked about last week. You choose to worship God with your time, your talent, and your treasure. And as Christians, I just want to, as we, we're going to keep playing some more clips, but, but as we are studying the book of Revelation again, that was given to John to give to the churches. Why? So in a time that was so dark and so twisted and so messed up, they wouldn't get twisted, dark and messed up. And I just, I mean, I'm watching this going, Lord, this is, maybe it's just a little mess up, just a little grouchiness. Okay. Maybe it's a big deal. Maybe, maybe coronavirus has like completely devastated your life and you're, you're tempted right now to get twisted and and dark and messed up. And yet as believers, we're commanded, we're instructed, we're we're free to live differently. Yesterday uh, here at the church, we we did the drive-through prayer. And I'm I'm filming this now, but when we did the drive-through prayer, I I prophesied and exhorted so many of the believers going through that, that they're peculiar people. The Bible declares Christians as peculiar, which means we're different than the rest of the world. Why are we peculiar? Not just because we're weirdos. Some of us are super weird. But we're peculiar, which means that we have a hope that is outside of this world. We don't get impacted by the things of this world the same way. We're all in this together, but Christians have a different way of processing because of our theology and because of our orthodoxy and therefore because of our doxology. It's how we live. So we're going to play some more of the video, and there's some more stuff, and I just wanted to interrupt myself real quick. We're going to play the rest of the video right now. So we're studying this. So yesterday I was a grouch. I've been out of shape. Read some, and I did the right thing, by the way. I went to Hebrews, read the devotional, and I just kept going. I didn't give up, kept eating my coffee, you know, kept getting through it. And eventually I got here, and I said, oh, Lord, that's right. You're doing stuff. So I'm going to read one verse out of chapter 15 and one verse out of chapter 16. The first verse in both chapters, we're going to use them as bookends. Look at verse 1 of chapter 15. It says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. Seven angels have in the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. He sees this vision of these angels coming out of the temple with bowls. I like to envision them as a surgical team. It goes on in chapter 15 to say they're clothed in pure white, that they have gold sashes across their hearts, that they're pure, they're perfect. And can you imagine them coming out of the temple? And it says bowls. Some of your versions say vials. But literally, this would be a wide bowl, like a brazen bowl. The the intention is, is that when the contents are poured out, it comes out quickly. Can you imagine a shallow very wide saucer-esque bowl, as opposed to like a bottle where you're trying to get that ketchup out. Come on, wrath of God, you know, and it's just, this is gonna just, it's gonna be easy. Here they come. Now in chapter 15, it goes on to describe a, a song sung by tribulation saints and some angels chime in. Look at verse one of chapter 16. 
It says, then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. The angels come out. We see a little scene in chapter 15. And the Bible says that in the end, verse 8 of chapter 15, that the temple fills with smoke and no one's allowed in the temple now, the place where God dwells. Everyone's out. But a voice comes from the temple. This is God himself in the temple. And he gives the command. Do it. What? Do it. It's time. Because up until, only, only the Father knows the time. And there will be a day where he says, enough. My justice must be poured out. His justice will come. It will. Right now is the day of grace and salvation. It's the day of mercy and kindness and forgiveness. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. And there will be a day, though, when the nations are shook up in order to be woke up, in order to be taken up, and in order to be saved. And God is doing that right now, even in our lives. When you get shook down by your own mistakes and decisions, what's God doing? He's trying to get your attention. But here we see what I just want to envision as these angels, a surgery team. And within these bowls is heavy medicine. And he's about to take out the sickness of sin and the cancer of carnality. We get this image in our mind and we can think, yeah, when you go to the doctor to get something cut off, you ever think about going to the doctor to get something cut off? You're like, yeah, just cut half of it off. I'll save some money. You know, just cut half of it. I'll leave a little bit there. Just see what happens. You ever say that to the doctor? You know, when they're cutting the cancer out, like just do half. Do you ever offer the doctor help? Like, oh, you know, can I help out a little bit and save some money too on the you know, copay or what? You know, no, no. Here's what happens when you go to the doctor for surgery. Do whatever you got to do. One time I was living in Southern Oregon and I saw this, this little like thing developing on my forehead, this little crater. I still got it. It kind of came out of nowhere. I was like, what's that crater, that kind of hole? And so I looked, made my wife look at it. She's like, that is weird. And so we, you know, what do we do? And it's a crater. I don't know what it is to this day. Anyways, so I said, well, would, you, would you schedule me an appointment with a dermatologist? And so Terry, she's, she's, pro, she's professional. And so she starts examining, you know, all my moles and skin patterns and asking questions. You know, have you ever lived in California? You know, have you ever gone to Hawaii? You ever traveled to the sun? Every, anything, all those normal questions, you know. And, <laughs> and at the end, she goes, you know what? You're fine. That thing on your forehead, whatever, it's fine. And, and all your moles are fine. They all are part of the same family. She goes, I like them all. They're all good. You got this guy and they're all, they're all friends. She said, except for this guy. And she points to the top of my left foot. She goes, I don't like him. He doesn't belong here. He's not part of the family. He's big. He's like a pirate. He's just, you know, he's like, what's he doing? And I remember I was like, okay, what do we want to do? She goes, well, here's our options. We can measure him, take some pictures and come back in six months and see what he's done. I was like, or she said, or we can just cut that sucker off and he'll be gone forever and we'll test him. And I said, why would we want to take pictures of him? <laughs> Who, who would opt for that? Are you getting paid for this, you know? And I offered, I was like, do you want me to cut it off or do you want to? Like, we can rock, paper, scissor. I don't, you know. And so I opted, I said, cut it off. I don't want to measure anything. Get him out of here, you know. And so she pulled out a syringe and filled my foot full of something that made my skin rise up like a mountain. It kind of just peaked up. And then she pulled out a pack of razor blades from the dollar store, you know. <laughs> And she opened one up and she just went, I was like, what, you're going to just use a, re that? okay. And so she just sliced it off right there, a bunch of skin, threw it in a little thing and tossed it out to somebody working in the lab. And 
all came back just fine. Everything's fine. But my point is, I remember that story because when you go to the, uh, hey, anything else? You sure? What about this guy? What about that guy? Look at this. You know, you you want the doctor to see and know everything and hear the Lord is saying, I'm sending the angels in haphazardly and without thought. No, no. Methodically, slowly, compassionately, empathetically. I'll say it. I'm, and I, I, I don't want to make God look different than he is, but almost, almost unwillingly. The Bible says that God takes no pleasure in the death of his saints or in the death of the wicked. He's not, he's, ah, he's, he actually is not willing that any should perish. And yet he's such a good God, you know what he will do? He will take care of it. One day, he will. He's more patient than we understand. He's also more just than we understand. And when I read this yesterday morning, I was like, oh yeah, that's what God's doing in my life and in our world and around us right now. He's got a plan. I got to get back on the horse. What am I doing? And I began to, okay, whew, whew, I almost went down the black hole of chewing my coffee up on a Saturday morning, you know. And I mean, I changed everything instantly. Within 12 minutes, I was at the CrossFit gym working out. Within 12 minutes, I just got my light. Let's go. Let's do stuff again. Did a memorial, 1 p.m., and worked all day and studied all night and watched the Toledo Boomers win the championship. I want you to read verse 1 of chapter 16 again. It says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of wrath of God on the earth. I would point out this. This is different than general, generic tribulation. This is the wrath of God. This is intention, discipline. That being said, it is my persuasion that the children of God are not on earth to receive the wrath of God because the children of God have been saved because the Son of God already absorbed the wrath of God. This is the wrath of God. There are some believers who think that the church will be here. It's just I don't think that's going to happen. Just like when we go to war against another country, the first thing we do is we pull out our ambassadors. We empty out our embassy. Come on home. It's going to get narnar. We're about to take justice back, and we take all our people home. I think God's going to extract the church, his people, before he enacts the wrath of God. You can wrestle with that on your own. That's what I believe. Look at verse 2. It says, So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worship his name. So now specifically, this bowl is poured out, and those who have worshipped the Antichrist, who have taken the mark of the beast, whatever it is, whatever technological advance or system for buying and selling, those people who have taken that, will themselves receive a foul and loathsome sore. Let me just say a few things. Most commentators connect the dots to the foul and loathsome sore to actually taking the mark of the beast. As if in taking that mark, the tattoo, the injection, the chip, the plant, the replacement, the tracer, the thing, whatever, oh, all of a sudden that technology, we didn't check it out and it actually causes this foul and loathsome sore. I don't know. Have you realized, though, that all the things that we have, all the 5G network and Wi-Fi and Internet, all the things, man, we're the guinea pig generation. We don't know how all this is going to impact us. And even then, it's going to be such a different mark of the beast, if you would. It makes sense to me. I don't know what it's going to be. But I would say this, and this is more important because we're not going to be there during this time. When you do things you shouldn't do, okay, you're going to get burned by whatever it is you've done. 
It's principle. It's a, it's a reaping and sowing principle. What you sow, you shall reap. It's just the way it is. I say that to say this, because a lot of people look at God as being a real mean God. Up in heaven with a bunch of lightning bolts, just looking for some dummy. I told you not to step on that. You know, just whoops, I'm busting people, you know? And some Christians actually think that's a, you do that, God's gonna curse you. And I would just say this. You know what curses you when you sin? Your sin. Put the first lines of Jeremiah 2, 19 up here, would you? It says your own wickedness will correct you and your backsliding will rebuke you. This is a principle. And I want you guys to get this as Christians, especially when you suffer, because God, when you suffer, sometimes you are, oh man, God's doing, you know? And he's like, I didn't do anything. I'm gonna say that right now. God didn't do anything. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, can a man take fire to his chest and not get burned? The proverbial answer is no, you're gonna get smoked, bro. What'd you expect? Like, what did you expect? And I'm learning this. I'm learning this more and more as I grow in the Lord. He's like, Luke, Luke, you are a product of your actions. And if you do this, you're gonna get that. Let me give you one more proof text before we move on because we will run out of time. In the book of Genesis, chapters two and three, the Bible says that God provided for his kids everything they need. Kanye West just wrote a song about it. It's pretty good. Got everything we need. Everything we need. And what he said in the book of Genesis, he said, but when you eat the other fruit, the one forbidden fruit, when you eat that fruit, in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. You know what he didn't say? In the day you eat of that fruit, I'm going to kill you. Like, what if he said that? Don't, I'll kill you. I'll kill, you know, that's not Father God. That's the Godfather. <laughs> Two separate approaches to leadership. The Godfather could break your legs, you know. Oh, forget about it, you know. Father God says, oh, here's the deal. That tree, it'll burn you. It'll, it just, it's just, it'll burn you. Don't do it. You don't need to do it. There are things in this world, when you do them, that will bless you. They'll bless you every single stinking time. There are things in this world that will burn you every single stinking time. Principles. Principles. Principles, you guys. See, God is good. And he's given to us ways, listen, that will bless us. Do this and you're gonna walk and you're gonna experience my love to a greater degree. Don't do it my way. Resist me. Listen, rebel. And it may actually give you an emotion or a sensation or an experience at first that you enjoy. But eventually and ultimately, like it said in Jeremiah 2, I, I, I read the verse. I'll just read it to you again. It says, your own wickedness will correct you. Just your, your, the things you do that are wrong, they will show up in the mail, proverbial mail, the spiritual mail, and you'll get the bill and it will, it will correct you. And as we studying the book of Revelation, the bowls of wrath are being poured out on planet Earth. And, and within those bowls is the actions and activities of sinful man being poured out back on planet Earth. I need you to understand this, especially now. This has been 23 weeks ago since we studied it. It's been 2,000 years since John wrote it. But the, the principles are still happening. And, and now more so than ever, pinch yourself because we're just kind of responsible for, for right now. But have you been seeing the news and watching the activities of humanity? And maybe not just it's easy to blame, you know, Portland and, and governors and mayors and, and people for, for their activity. It's easy to see what's going on. But have you also 
found yourself acting in, in some sort of sinfulness or, or rebellion towards God. And here's the thing. The Bible says this about rebellion. There's a lot of rebellion going on. I, I can't say it's not in my own heart and I'm only going to be held accountable for my actions. But rebellion, the Bible says, is as the sin of witchcraft. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a few sins I'm real careful not to commit. One of them's witchcraft. <laughs> I don't do no witchcraft. But Jesus says, you know, well, witchcraft is evil. Duh, duh. But if you're rebellious, cantankerous, if you're whatever, evil in those ways, God looks at it as the same. And so what God is going to do, much like my doctor Terry Smith did, my, what, what the doctor is going to do, what the medical team is going to do, this is gonna, they're going to take care of it. They're going to take care of it. And this is good news for you who are believers right now looking. Are you mad right now? Just mad at that group and that protest and that rioting. And listen, the Lord knows what's going on. He has it. Vengeance is the Lord's, says the Lord. So what you and I need to do is to check our own heart and say, Lord, Father God, not Godfather, Father God, am I pleasing to you? Show me the way. Convict my spirit. See, God is going, he has a plan for this earth to pour out his bold judgment in order to cleanse. And as hard as it is to swallow, as hard as it is to even look at, it's what this world needs. It's what this world deserves. And yet today's the day of repentance right now. That's why we study this book to realign ourselves, to know that no matter what's going on in Portland or what's going on in, in Washington or what's going on in the world, our God is good. And he has good things in store. So we're going to keep playing this teaching as we get reacquainted uh, with Revelation 16 and get back in the book. So we're going to play some more clips right now. So when it says here in verse 2, the first went out and poured out his bowl of, earth, of wrath on the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon all the men who had the mark of the beast. Man, you take the mark of the beast? By the way, just parenthetically, and we'll talk about this later, nobody will accidentally take the mark of the beast without allegiance to the beast. Nobody. Some people say, it's a, it is a, it's a technological, you have Wi-Fi? Oh, it's the mark of the beast. You know, I was like, no. The mark of the beast is a stance, a foundation, a conclusion, a, a theological conclu conclusion to worship the beast. It's gonna be an offense. Antichrist means instead of Christ. I'm just gonna have this choice, this lifestyle, this idea and it will be associated with a mark. Okay, so a lot of Christians freak out. Like, man, we gotta, we gotta make sure nobody accidentally take, you're not gonna, nobody's gonna accidentally do nothing. Okay, it'll be willful and purposeful. Moving on, check this out. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man. And every living creature in the sea died, verse four. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. Whoa, stop right there, eyes up here. This is reminiscent of the Exodus plagues. As Moses told Pharaoh, hey, let my people go. If you don't, everything's going to turn to blood. And he said, well, I'm not going. He's like, well, dude. And everything turned to blood. Can you imagine, though? We already saw in the book of Revelation that one-third of the ocean was cursed. Okay, one-third. Now here, all 100% become blood in the springs and rivers of the, of the earth. Not only would the... This is, we're on the coast. We read this differently. We're like, whoa, dude, the ocean's right there. That's our livelihood. That's crazy. Can you imagine the smell, the dead? Everything dies. Everything in it dies. 70% of our oxygen right now on planet Earth comes from the ocean. It doesn't come from trees. It comes from plant life, marine life, plankton, all that dead. And this would be, Jesus said in Matthew 24, unless the days of the great wrath of God were shortened, nobody would survive. 
Like this, I'm, I'm saying this is at the end and it's the gnarliest. Now you might be sitting here going, I don't like that. Let's just be honest. Anybody like this? Let's just be human for a second. I don't like it. I don't like it. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I don't like it. And so the next two verses, an angel pipes up. And an angel clarifies. See, angels know a lot. They've been around the whole time. The Bible actually says that angels have been watching and learning. And the main thing that they're confused about is you guys. They're like, why would you choose Luke? Hey, Lord, did you see Luke? Have you, you're, you're gonna give him grace? What? And the angels are tripping. And so now when this wrath is poured out, verses five and six, and I heard the angel of the waters saying this, you are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you've judged these things, for they've shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you've given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. Verse seven, and I heard another from the altar saying, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Stop right there, eyes up here. These two voices come in as if to underscore what God is doing is right, even though it's hard, even though it's not fun. Someone's gonna challenge you. You really think God's gonna do that? Say, why in the absolute world would he not? Tell me one reason why he should not. These angels say, oh, they spilled the blood of the prophets and the saints. You know what they're gonna get now? Blood. You want blood, you're gonna get blood. That's what, I mean, it's just, isn't it? You want to see everybody die? Everybody forgot? God's going to give you blood then. Which, by the way, hell bothers me. I don't like hell. I don't like the idea. It should bother you too. It should mess with you. It's true. And I try to help people understand what hell is, amongst other things. Hell is for sure the absolute absence of the presence and goodness of God. For sure, amongst other things. The goodness and presence of God. Because I meet atheists and haters, and they say, I don't want anything to do with your God. I was like, Dude, eventually you're going to get exactly what you want. And it's going to be called hell. I don't want God. Ah, careful. In the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. And that is right hand or pleasures forevermore. He's the best. He's, in his, he's the best. This is why we do what we do. We try and get people closer to Jesus. So I want you to read the Bible and come to morning worship. Just touch him. Get in his presence. And these angels are looking around and the angels say, man, these guys, all they do is kill everybody. And all you've ever done is give angels with voices and you've given witnesses with miracles and 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams and you've just been patient, 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 patient. These angels are freaking out. Like, God, when are you gonna? Oh, righteous and true. This angel says, the Lord has righteously judged. I say that because dum-dums like me, you know how much I know? Very little just little snapshots. And you look at the culture, they go, oh, I'm, I'm pretty smart, you know, watch CNN, you know, I'm pretty smart, you know. <laughs> we don't, the Bible says we see dimly judgment, that's beyond us. This angel knows way more than you do, and our God is supreme beyond all measure, and he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna judge the world. And this angel's like, yeah, he has carefully analyzed everything. It will be fair. Everyone will get exactly what they want and what they deserve to be with the Lord or to be separated. You can take this to the bank, Christian, okay? It's, God has not asked you to be the judge. That's not our, we're not very good at it. We're weird. 
The other angel says, righteous and true are your judgments. Check this out. We're just going to go to verse 11 and we're done. Then the fourth angel, he poured out his bowl on the sun and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. Well, this is crazy. And they did not repent and give him glory. Now this next angel pours out his bowl and everyone gets burned by the sun. Now we're Scientists trying to figure out how. Like, oh, it must be a supernova, bro, you know, and flares happening in a big storm, which, you know, could actually precede the events of the whole world getting burned up with fervent heat, like Peter says, and supernovas when a star begins to die and everything changes, and, and it could cause the temperatures to rise in people, or it could be more supernatural than that, where it's just God just judging people. It is interesting, though, that the sun is the same light, the sun is the same light that melts ice, just grows flowers, produces life and newness. It's that same sun that cracks and hardens clay. The sun doesn't change. It's the same sun. It's the objects that it hits. One, or the other. one is going to soften and grow. Okay, one is going to harden and crack. This group here, they're torched and they're smoked. Ah! And so what do they do? Do they soften and repent? They harden and crack and they begin to blaspheme the Lord even more. Throughout we're gonna, the rest of the chapter, every plague, the response is the same. Blasphemy and not repenting. To blaspheme somebody, to commit blasphemy literally means to blame them, which is interesting. Just chew on that. Blaming others for what's going on in your life. You ever do that before? Man, if you would, you know, you're all messed up and things are going bad for you and try and blame somebody. Here they're blaming God for their life. That what? And so God gives them another, another bowl. The Bible says, no, all of this is ordered. God knows what he's doing. And so when I was in my funk yesterday, forgot all this stuff, and I, read, I was like, oh, wow. This is a prophecy of the future. God's gonna do these things. That's gonna help me know what I'm supposed to do today. All right, all right, all right. And I changed my mojo, changed my, changed my direction. This is what we're doing here today. Just a few more verses and we're done, guys. These guys didn't repent. Two more verses. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. These guys also blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and they did not repent of their deeds. Again, reminiscent of the Exodus plagues when God poured darkness upon Egypt. The Bible says in the Exodus that God made it so dark. You should check this out. So in Egypt, it was so dark, they could feel the darkness in order to get Pharaoh to let the people go. Can you imagine feeling the dark? Here it says that he's pouring out the darkness, and it's almost like it's kept specifically in the kingdom of the Antichrist, as if it's not going to be worldwide, but just in a specific place. I don't know the way it's worded is, is, could go either way. But it's so dark that the people not only feel the darkness, they feel the pain from the darkness and they gnaw their tongues. I mean, I just imagine, how, I don't know, how dark is that? You thought daylight savings was bad. <laughs> and it was, by the way. It's horrible. <laughs> so bad. I'm, I'm going to be taking a nap in like 20 minutes. You watch. <laughs> but can you imagine being so dark? So they gnaw their tongues, so their tongues don't even work. And what does it say? Last verse we read? <laughs> they blaspheme God still. <laughs> They're somehow able to curse God. And they take his name in vain. We're going to see that at the very last verse in chapter 16. They take his name in vain. 
Interesting thing about taking the Lord's name in vain. Nobody in our culture, nobody in any culture takes Muhammad's name in vain or Buddha or Confucius. Isn't it interesting when people mention the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ, as a curse word? It's interesting. It's interesting. No one says, ah, oh, Buddha. <laughs> you know, ah, oh, Buddha, darn it, you know. It's like, you know what I'm saying? Think about it. It's a condition of your heart. I'm going to have Pastor Ryan come up and lead us in a song, and, and we're going to take communion now. Guys, I meant to teach the whole chapter, and there's, there's some red letters in verse 15. I'm going to read them to you. Jesus says to that group then and to us now, behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Hmm. Guys, as we're getting back into Revelation 16, and we have the context of the entire book of Revelation, that Jesus is encouraging John, the revelator, and he's not delivering John from his current situation, the pandemic he was in. John wouldn't be delivered, but instead Jesus would declare the truth. And Jesus would declare in the book of Revelation some truths that are downright scary and and, and offensive even, that during the judgment time, there would be people that would harden their hearts and would, would take the Lord's name in vain. And they wouldn't repent of their deeds. They would blaspheme. That means to just kind of push back on God. And yet Jesus gives those red letters as a, as a promise. I was going to say a warning, because it is that. But it's a promise that he's coming soon. Behold, I'm coming as a thief. Man, a thief. We, we make preparations to get robbed, don't we? Like you lock the door, you hide your stuff. You just, you know, you always wonder, am I going to get robbed? Yeah, maybe you don't always think that. I don't <laughs> always think about that too. But the reason you have locks on your doors, so you don't get robbed. And the idea behind coming as a thief means it's, you just don't know when. Jesus promised though that he's coming. And he asked us in verse 15, he says, blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments lest he walk naked or, un, 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 or not prepared, unprepared, and, and they see his shame. This is the warning that God gave to the church. It's the warning that God gave to us. It's a promise also. He says, guys, I am, I'm, I'm on my way. It's called the blessed hope, the hope of his return. 1 John 3 tells you and me that if we have the hope of his return, this is why we study the book of Revelation, why we get, get everything realigned, when we get twisted, when we get darkened, when we fall off the path, wouldn't it be so awesome if it were just other people that got twisted and darkened and fell off the path? If it wasn't you, just other, other weirdos? If you're honest, man, you need to be realigned yourself into the truth of God's word. So guys, get ready, get excited. We're getting back into the book of Revelation. We're going to pick up next week, right in verse 12 of chapter 16, continuing the bold judgments. As we, as we consider the future, God has the future under control. You, you do know that? He has the future. This is why the book was given to John. Hey, John, 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 John. Don't worry about the future. Bear fruit now. Bear fruit now. And guys, right now, the church is still going through this very unprecedented time of refinement, of, of, of alignment. And I guarantee you, none of it's been wasted in God's economy. That he has done a work in me. He's done a work in you. I know he's done a work in our team. And as we want to get back to meeting, maybe September 6th, it, it, that's our goal. But 
but nothing's ever going to be the same as it was, okay? Dare I say it this way, a lot of it, nor should it. I believe God wants to refine us, to take that precious gold that he found in us, that he made us to be, but he's the refiner and he heats it up and removes the dross. And that's what's been going on right now. He's been realigning us in that way. So guys, get excited, be excited. And today, maybe you need to repent right now. At the end of this service, it's been a long teaching. I know you watched some, some stuff from, you know, 100 years ago and, and, and now you're, you're here though, right now. Do you need to repent? Do you need to say, Lord, in all of this testing and, and turmoil and refining, I too have been like those guys then and I've, I've, I've blasphemed. Maybe you didn't take the Lord's name in vain, but I've just pushed you aside. Or maybe you just got distracted. You thought you were doing the right thing and you started, you know, signing all kinds of, you know, waivers and let's do petitions and let's get this. And you start getting, and you just, oh, wow. My theology, study of God, leads to an orthodoxy, my conclusion of God, which leads to a doxology, my worship of God, my response. Maybe all that's been twisted, but hey, guess what? God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. His grace is sufficient for our needs. So I'm going to say a prayer right now. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes and let's just ask God to not waste any of this, to make all of this, these, these, these last weeks and months and the future, to not waste it in your life. If you don't want God to waste it, you want it to actually do a work. Like if you would go to the doctor and say, hey, cut it out. Man, don't, don't take pictures. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we invite you, we ask you, we let you, we volunteer, we surrender, and we say, have your way in our wicked hearts. Have your way, Lord, in our lives. Forgive us of our sins and our rebellion. Lord, it's easy to pick on others and to label groups and to say that, but I just don't see any benefit to my own walk. So Lord, would you search my heart? If you want the Lord to search your heart, would you just raise your hand? Lord, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. Raise up your hand and say, yeah, Dr. Jesus. Lord, and then lead us in the way everlasting. If you want to be led in the way everlasting, Lord, my hand is up too. And Jesus, would you soften my heart? Forgive me. Make me, Lord, this is your prayer. Make me a fruitful man. Raise up your hand and say, Lord, make me a fruitful person for you, a son or a daughter of God. Lord, forgive me of getting it twisted. Help me to see, Lord, that you have a plan and that I can trust you for that process. And that plan even includes working on me. So Lord, bear fruit, raise your hand, bear fruit in my life for your glory and for others' good. Lord, take over, take over everything. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Guys, God bless you. God doesn't waste anything. He's using all things and working them together for his good, for his glory, for his kingdom. Your job, my job, is to simply like little children, respond to our heavenly father with joy, with obedience, with love, with peace and patience, and then to show that reality to the rest of the world. So guys, we're getting back into Revelation. God bless you. Don't forget the upcoming events that were detailed in the announcements earlier. If you need anything, email the church, southbeachchurch at gmail.com. Other than that, be excited because the day of the Lord is nearer now than ever before. God bless you guys. I'll see you very soon. 